Hello, queen, and welcome to the CEO Mindset Method. I am your host, Erin Titanser. This is where you get to take your CEO status to a whole new level. We are all about taking ownership of who you are now, how you got here, and why you want what you want. We heal, guide, visualize more than what you think is possible for you, and I teach you how to make it happen. We make the present to future journey fun, sexy, attractive, exciting, so that creating five-figure months is a no-brainer. It's possible. We do it, and we want you in our tribe. I'm so freaking happy you are here. Now let's get started. Hi friends, and welcome back to another episode of the CEO Mindset Method. I am your host, Erin Titanser, and this week we have a very special guest in this series. We have Kim Christensen on, and I'm so happy you are here, Kim. Thank you. I've been so excited to have this conversation with you. I'm so excited. We were talking before I started recording that we're both just feeling like we're excited to have this conversation. This is something that we're both transitioning through this like transformation, faith awakening process. And it has been really beautiful and healing for both of us. Um, But like I've said in previous episodes in this series, I just really feel called to invite women on who I've seen lead in their power in all different areas of life, whether it's business, home, religion, spirituality. And Kim was the first person I thought of, um, in this, in this specific arena. Um, Kim and I met, did we meet at Alt Summit? Oh my gosh. Did you go to brand school? Yes. Were we in the same one? I went to Mm. brand school, but I, I remember you and your face from Alt Summit from that photo shoot, like a few years ago. Oh, from the simple and blush photo shoot, maybe. Yes. Simple and blush photo shoot ages ago. But I feel like we connected before that. It it all just, I feel like we did too. I know, especially after the last few years. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Um, so you tell us about, cause people probably know you from talk wordy to me, which I love that name. (laughs) I love that a little bit cheeky. (laughs) I, but it's like so good. Um, and then the other business that you own is a journal, yeah, promptly, promptly mm-hmm. journals, right? Promptly journals. Yep. Yep. Okay. I'm one of the owners there and it's funny. So the story of that was, it started with my old roommate and friend, Kim, her name's Kim as well, calling me saying, I just really want to talk to you. And I really feel like I need to bring you into this idea I have. And I was like, Oh, we'll see. I'm pretty comfortable in my life right now. I've got little kids. I don't want to like venture into a business. I truth be told, never wanted to be an entrepreneur. In fact, I consciously consciously did not want to be an entrepreneur because I know, I know, I know. You attracted that by the way. You're like, I will not be an entrepreneur. And the universe is like entrepreneur. You will be. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) It's so funny how that can happen. Mm -hmm. Like I worked at Utah Valley Magazine as one of the editors there, one of the writers. And I was in charge of the women in business section where I interviewed all these women I know in business, especially who had local ties to my hometown, you know, in Utah. Mm -hmm. 
So I would interview these women and I would hear their horror stories, to be honest, of like starting a business. And I'm just like, uh, no, thank you. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, a pass. Yeah. I was like, well, like I respect you, but I do not want your life. And so it's funny how I had that in my head. And then when I did sit down and have this conversation with my friend thinking, I mean, I'm going to hear her out for sure, but Mm -hmm. nothing beyond that. She said, well, I want to create this journal for a a prompted journal so that parents and children can write to each other and connect. And I was like, and sold. (laughs) I will be part of that because I've journaled my whole life. And my mom gifted me a journal when I was five, when she got they she had gotten divorced from my dad a couple of years before and got remarried and that is the time she gave me this journal and helped me write in it and listened wow. to me as i talked and she wrote for me before i could write myself and and that became just such a gift and wow. a therapeutic tool for me yeah gaining a stepdad who by the way i didn't want at all at the mm-hmm. time <laughs> Yeah. And, um, you know, step siblings and anyway, so journaling is a deep part of me and it's still very much a part of how I process things in my life. And so I said yes to this venture. We launched our journal on Kickstarter. It, it went really well and we formed a company out of it. And then we merged with promptly journals. I, I took Jane to lunch, who's the founder of promptly and said, Hey, I just want to connect with you. We're both moms trying to, you know, make people get off their screens and sit down and write on a hard copy journal. It's kind of a niche thing, but let's just help each other out, you know? And, and then from there, she invited me to merge with her company and Mm. it became this kind of cool story of, you know, two potentially opposing, you know, companies, competing companies coming together instead. And, um, yeah, so that's what happened. And, and here we are. So that's what I do. I, I, um, I've stepped quite a bit back from making journals and, and now just kind of come on and help when I needed, um, that mm-hmm. was the right move for my family and for my, um, goals. I I'm focusing on the books that I'm writing and wanting to publish. So that's where I am. Right now. Yeah. We're going to yeah. get into that because I saw how freaking big your book is. <laughs> It's a big one. <laughs> it's a big one. I'm so excited for whenever you feel it's right to let it out. Oh, thank um, you. I'm so excited. But I actually have a couple of promptly journals um, cool. for both of my boys. And it's so cool. Just like the questions that you're asking at each age, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. what's going on in this stage and all of this. So it's so good. Yeah. Um, Thanks. So Tell more about like what you do because Talk Wordy with me is like its own business and its own. Um, mm. You're my go-to book guru. Like anytime I need a new book, I'm like, Kim will have the answer. So tell us about that. Tell us like you, you're in Utah. You have a few kids. Like tell us more about you. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I have a few kids, um, three kids, and I live in Utah County. And I, uh, yeah, I love it here. I went to high school in Australia, so I don't feel like Mm -hmm. Utah is my home home. Like it's for sure become my home, but all of high school, all of my high school years were spent in Australia four years. And that was a very formative part of my life. And I still have ties there and, and it just feels like home too. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always yearning because of that experience. Um, yearning to travel and to live in other places. So 
I've tried time and time again to convince my husband that we need to go live in England or Australia again or anywhere. <laughs> He's more of a homebody. Let's stick with what we know. Let's um, yeah. have a really stable job, you know, low risk, which is really great for my personality because I'm like, it'll all work out. Just jump and then it will work out. Yep. So we're good for each other in that way. But um, yeah, I definitely have like a wandering heart in that way. Um but yeah, books. I love, I graduated with a degree in English from BYU. Um, you know, after I lived in Australia, I came home, went to UVU and then BYU and got that degree. I worked in journalism for a while, print journalism and broadcast journalism. Um, and now I do, I'm one of the book reviewers for Studio 5 and Good Things Utah. And I okay. just love, like, I love that you said um, you come to me for books because that's such a high compliment. I'm so... Mm -hmm careful about the books I choose and the books I recommend. And I really, really love the way that they just take you places you wouldn't have gone otherwise, you know, when you're reading and they teach you things you, you don't learn unless you open your mind to them and help you live lives in a way that you wouldn't experience without seeing life from another person's perspective. Right. I think books are an important part of social justice coming to understand, you know, life in someone else's shoes. Yeah. Um, you know, a person of color or um, someone who is in the LGBTQ community. Like it's, I've read like a couple books come to mind in that regard. Um, mm -hmm. Like Stamped was a really good book for me to read to understand the history, you know, of slavery and how it still informs our government and our day-to-day -day life and culture now. Um, I think of This Is How It Always Was. I think I'm saying the title correctly. This is how it always was. Um, that one, I'm thinking Laurie Frankel, if I'm correct, if that's the author, but that one just really opened my mind to the things that people have to face um, who aren't heterosexual. Like it's just, yeah. it's things that I never would have gotten that up close and personal experience with, you know, had I not mm -hmm. read those. And then that prepared the way for, you know, different friendships that came along in my life for me to be more sympathetic and understanding. So I just, bottom line, I just love the way books can open our minds, but also they're just fun. Like I love to read yeah. just fun fiction books as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I really believe that books, um, help our children, help mm -hmm. them form their minds and, um, help them, you know, academically, emotionally. There's so many studies that show that reading, especially fiction, because I know a lot of people are like, oh, nonfiction is where you learn more, which I will dispel that myth all day long. You're like, bring um, it on. Let's talk. Yeah. <laughs> nonfiction is great. Totally yeah. love it. But don't discount fiction because fiction is yeah. where, you know, like Einstein said, if you want your children to be smart, read them fairy tales. That's where you learn to expand your mind and to right. think of solutions. And it's scientific too. It helps you in that way as well. But yeah, I just think, um, books. And what I was saying is there are studies that show how reading fiction, especially helps you become more emotionally intelligent and helps you be a better, better critical thinker, like how cool and what a, what a needed tool that we need and our mm -hmm. children need in this day and age. And this totally relates to what we're going to get into. With faith. I feel that. Hello. Yes. Like yes. Critical thinking, like thinking yes. for yourself, not just just, not just letting someone else control what thoughts you have or what right. the way you view the world. Like yeah. you have to take that on yourself and, and books can do that. Um, yeah. And they're just, they're therapy. Like I consider myself a self-proclaimed bibliotherapist because I love 
helping people through what they're facing by giving them a book that will give them what they need. And even just to be a witness to their pain or a companion to, you know, the struggles they're facing. So yes, books all day. I, yesterday, I I feel that. I feel it. It's so funny because I was talking to my daughter and I, I can't remember how the conversation came up, but I said, oh, I was talking with a friend about writing. Um, and my daughter was there, my 12 year old daughter. And I said, oh man, maybe I need to stop reading because I, as I'm writing my own book, I just think, oh my gosh, their book is so good. Like, that's not my book. I am not there. And it just, it makes me sad. And I'm like, maybe I just need to stop reading. And my daughter looks at me. She's like, mom, we all know you could never stop reading it. Even if you tried. (laughs) Oh my gosh. What a compliment though. You're like, she sees me. She knows who I am. Yes. Um, I, I mean, this really does go perfectly into what we're talking about because just that, I know I just saw this like TikTok video, Will Smith, and he said something about like the two things you need to be doing is reading and running because that's when you get out of your brain, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, it's out and it's the expansion. And I just keep thinking Mm -hmm. of the word imaginative because with our kids and with us, it's like, let's make our brain expansion so big that we take in all of this information and then get to choose what sounds fun, what feels aligned with me, right? It's like now it's a choice because we have so many options rather than this is how you do things. This is what you believe. This is what you don't believe. And you get out of your, you get out of your brain. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yes. Yes. And what you were saying about the alternative to the mind expansion is oh, this is how we do things. And if you step out of that, or if I step out of it, fear, fear 100%, runs in. Yeah. And so that's, that's the, mm. I think that's the problem many of us face is that fear surrounding the unknown or the unfamiliar. And if you don't allow yourself to explore outside of that box where you've lived your whole life, um, I just think it's kind of sad. I think you are limiting yourself, not only yourself, but limiting the potential connection and understanding that you may have of other people and other ways of life that are just as correct as yours. Totally. 100. I just had a conversation with my cousin this morning. We were talking about faith awakening since I was having you on. And I'm like, I've been talking to Brad about my faith awakening awareness and I just kept feeling like I'm doing myself and brought a disservice if I am not able to fully be myself and fully explore what's happening. Cause I'm, I had been hiding in such a shell because I was so scared of cracking the egg open. Like, oh my gosh, what happens if this cracks? And then it's just like leaked out. Right. Like a mess that doesn't fit together perfectly. Yeah. And what do you do with that? Because you don't have mm. the framework for that. You have the framework for what you know. You know right. the answers. You know what you do. You know what you don't do. But when it becomes so open that it's like, well, I guess I make my own rules. The the learning comes from trusting yourself. Yes. And that's freaking scary sometimes, you know? Yeah. It brings up a lot of stuff that you have to work through. Oh, so much stuff. Okay. So let's, when did this all start for you? Let's just dive into it. Like, when did you start feeling like, I'm ready to crack that open. And cause I'm feeling, tell me if this is like landing for you. This, my transition was kind of like, I would 
I would want to, I'd feel the urge to crack it open and I'd like, oh no, it's too scary. And then all of a sudden I was like, listen, I can't live this life anymore. Like I got to crack it open. Like I got to see what's inside. Mm. Was it like that for you? Or were you just like one day something happened and you're like, it just leaked out? Mm, No, it was more of the former, more of what you described. And I feel like sometimes we think of, oh, like when did your awakening or expansion or shift or whatever happened? And it's not, I don't think for anyone, it's one event. I mean, maybe, maybe sometimes more so than others, but like for me, at least it was over my entire life. Cause Mm. it's not like I was one way and now I'm another. It's like, I was always me from the beginning. It's just how what parts of me I hid, what Mm. parts of, what parts of, um, you know, the rules and the religion I allowed myself to explore and question and what parts I didn't, what parts of me I for, I, I forced conformity to, if that makes sense. So, so I guess it's, it's a lot of things that was, I've always had questions, you know, and, and there's times when I, um, I was able to shelf those questions and then it really just came to a point where there were some big questions I had that I couldn't shelf anymore because I had put mm-hmm. them up there time and time and time again, but eventually they were screaming for attention <laughs> Yeah, and, yeah. and yeah. I'm not, I'm not the kind of person and I don't think anyone is if they recognize their true nature and and their brain and their spirit and the way that we yearn for knowledge and expansion and progress. I wasn't able to just continue to shove these questions down and shove these inklings down. I had to go to them. I had to look at them and I had to explore them in order for me to come back to any possibility of faith. Totally. Like it wasn't just about following a path of doubt, you know, it was about following a path of faith. I'm like, well, I can't authentically believe or even understand what I believe unless I know the history. And, you know, I'm a, I have a journalist background. I'm inquisitive. I, I knew how to research things and I needed answers. I needed some answers about history that I felt like I wasn't getting, um, you know, the history of my church, which is, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, like I needed, I needed to know where I came from yes. and I needed to know, um, what I was saying yes to, you know, um, yeah. in a, with a bigger picture, I needed a bigger picture than what was handed to me through the, you know, PR filtered, right. um, process of the church. Um, so I, the, one of the big things for me is polygamy and um what what really kind of and and I've <laughs> I've gone through times where you know I've I've sat with that and had a hard time with it but again like I I was able to put it on a shelf and I received guidance that was enough for me at the time to be like well I didn't find answers necessarily but I found enough peace to be like well there's enough other good things surrounding you know the messy middle that I'm able to function And so I did that time and time again throughout, especially my adulthood. And I essentially, lately I've been connecting a lot with my ancestors and it's been magical through my book that you saw that that's what it's about. It's about connecting with ancestors and, and the people that went before us. And I had some pretty magical experiences 
writing that novel because I went to England, happened to be lucky enough to go to England in, in uh, well, it was before COVID. It was a while ago, the first time I went and felt such a deep visceral connection to a place I visited, this tiny, mm-hmm. tiny village in England in the countryside. And I was just like, something is happening here. <laughs> There's something bigger than I can even wrap my head around that I feel here. And I have to do something with it. Being a writer, I'm like, well, I'll write about it. <laughs> yeah, so that's why yeah. I wrote my first novel. Come to find out, when I had already written a full draft of this novel, I have ancestors not very far back who came from that tiny place that I visited. You didn't of all know the places that in the world. No, it? oh no, I had no idea. Chills. No idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were close. <laughs> and it was insane mm. to me, like that deep connection I felt and writing about it. And the story that I wrote is about a girl that goes to that town, that village, with, you know, her own agenda in mind to tear down this historic manor, you know, so that she can get a promotion at work, basically. Mm-hmm. But then she comes to feel this pull to this portrait of a woman that she sees in the manor. And she doesn't understand why she has this connection to it. She just feels something she can't describe. And then she comes to learn the history of this woman, comes to find out later that it's her ancestor, changes the trajectory of her life. She's like, oh, whoa, I can't tear down this manor. I have to save it now. And she, anyway, so she discovers this connection. Meanwhile, I am discovering my own connection. This is literally, you're looking at the portrait. You're like, I can't. I'm looking at the portrait. Oh my gosh. Isn't that crazy? It's so cool to me how it happened. And and that's not the only thing. I went down this rabbit hole of like, oh, there happens to be one of my ancestors who was part of the, was one of the founding fathers, if you will, of the little town I live in, in Lehigh, Utah. Like, and so I followed that trail and, and then there's another person's home who's an ancestor who built a home that still stands, you know, back in the 1800s, five minutes away. And so, you know, me and my kids have gone around and found graves and visited, visited these homes and just felt this deep connection to the past and the way that that past informs our present and future. Mm -hmm. So, so this all leads back to your question of, I started connecting with my ancestors and my um, fourth great grandmother was Brigham Young, who is, you know, Mm. was the second prophet of the church, the LDS church. Um, She was his first polygamist wife. Okay. So that is my family history. And there's a lot there. And there's, Mm. you know, polygamy in my ancestry. And I needed to know their stories. And I needed to know what they faced. Mm. Not just the excuses of, well, you know, polygamy needed to happen because there were more women than men or these things that are actually myths like there's not there are some good things that came out of polygamy I'll say that um it wasn't I mean like your family for everyone like hi me yeah literally yeah yeah so I will never like I don't want to tear down the sacrifices the men and women and children made who lived that and believed that in it they believed in it You know, so I honor that and hold space for that. Um, I also have a hard time with it because of some family things that have happened in my own family um, and people that I love. um, Scary to say, but like just some some infidelity that has happened within my sphere of life and um, not not with my husband or anything, but 
Yeah. And so when I learned the stories of polygamy and Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, it became very hard for me to separate mm. polygamy from infidelity. Yeah. So I have that personal slant there. Um, and just, you know, the, the history of polygamy within my family. And even if you don't have polygamy in your family history, if you're, if you're part of this church that practiced it, like you need to understand what went down, <laughs> the good, the right. bad and the ugly. Right. So that's where I went. And I didn't just like go Google, like, Oh, like, let me, right. like, I'm a journalist. Like I know how to research things and not just take anything as truth. Right. Like right. I was very careful about the sources I went to. And one of the books I read, was the ghost of eternal polygamy by Carolyn Pearson, who is mm-hmm. an active member of the church, a progressive one, one who I admire and revere. And if you have interest in the feminine divine, um, Finding Mother God is a collection of poems by her that is just life-changing, really healing and beautiful. And that's how I found her. I read that first and then trusted her and had heard podcasts Mm -hmm. with her. And I was like, ooh, this is one I want to hear from. This is someone I want to influence me because I love her heart Mm -hmm. and her intentions and her knowledge. And her book gave me a very clear view of polygamy and the way that it went down and the way that it still affects the church and the people in it today. Yeah. And it was, I couldn't, I couldn't make excuses for it anymore. Mm. And the only way, I mean, and we could talk for ages about what, what did go down and the way that it affects people. It's still practiced in temples today because mm. men can be sealed to any w- number of women they choose yeah. and women cannot. So there's some gender issues there that I take totally. issue with. And then there's, yeah. um, you know, just the, the inequality of it. I have a hard time with. Um, so yeah. And I just think of women who lose their husband and have to divorce their beloved husband who's passed on in order to have the temple marriage they're taught is the only way to happiness and eternity with your family. And I'm just like, that's an impossible choice that no woman should ever have to make or a man. So anyway, that's a whole thing, but that is what kind of really made me feel like it's time for me to look at the facts and not just look at the filtered, you know, stuff that comes just, and I do, I look at the stuff directly from the church. That's, that's what I look at. I look at that all. And I take that into account. Um, and that's mainly where I have found my information, to be honest with you, as I'm scanning my brain, but it's, I do seek progressive voices within the church who aren't going to just accept the status quo, because I've learned some things about social justice thankfully, like through, honestly, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and learning more about that. And that has helped me look with a more aware lens at the church I'm part of and the social justice issues within my church and, you know, the gender issues and all of that. And so that has been a good learning process for me. And I've had to start deconstructing some things. And and polygamy was the biggest one because that's the one that has troubled my heart for the longest time. And then I just, that opened up my eyes to gender inequality within the church and and my cute daughter who I don't, I don't bring them into these questions. They don't, they don't need those right now. I mean, I do try and teach them critical thinking skills, but I don't cast my questions on them or, you know, try and influence them in that way. We do have good discussions, but one thing my daughter said without any prompting was mom, why are there only men in charge at church? This was a couple years ago, and I was like, you "She's know like what? ten years At old." Once, 
Yes, exactly. She was. Mm, I, and I would have, there was a time when I would have made excuses and I would have been like, you know what? It's just that we don't understand everything God understands. Um, this is women are just as important. I would, I would have thrown on the placations and the excuses, but I couldn't. And I was like, you know what? That's something I don't think is right Mm -hmm. with the way that we function in the church. And I think it's something that needs to be fixed. And so I don't have the answer there, but I do want you to know you are as important as any man in the church and you have a heavenly mother who's a goddess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she and Heavenly Father mm. combine their power together and one cannot be without the other. And mm. so I just have to continue to communicate to myself and to my children, my son as well, and my husband, you know, that the model of, you know, Heavenly Father, Jesus, Spirit, communicated and represented as men in the church. And then, you know, the bishopric and the, and the prophets and all the male patriarchal leadership, there are some pieces missing and it's, it's mother God mm-hmm. and it's women as leaders and patriarchs, I guess, for lack of better matriarchs, I guess I should say, um, as, as leaders, spiritual leaders. And, um, yeah, I, I, the more I've learned of my heavenly mother, and her power. Um, and the more I've come to dust off my own divine power, I've no longer been able to be content to just let it be about the men. And I don't mean that in a way, like I don't, I'm not the type of feminist that's like, Oh, tear men down. So women can rise. That's not me. That's not feminism. That's not true feminism. It's about equality. It's about honoring the men. And I'll tell you, I've only had, thankfully, I know not everyone has had this. I've only had positive experiences with male leaders in my church. You know, like it's been, it's been good. I haven't had anything crazy happen there. And my husband is a feminist. He's amazing. You know, it's, it's not about that. Um, It's just about recognizing what it feels like to not see, um, not see yourself in a male God to not see. And of course I see myself in that too. And I feel his love, but I also need my mother. (laughs) I also need to see that my divine potential goes way beyond motherhood and goes way beyond a supporting role. Um, And so once I've, I've started uncovering that divinity within myself and feeling it and experiencing it, I've no longer been able to keep it in a really tight box. Yeah. I, right. It's like you decided to open the box and the box is going to just stay open. Like you can't close it again. You can't close it again. No. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a very scary decision, right? It's like, okay, I've been pushing this down, making excuses for so long. And it's all the same excuses that we all use, right? Like we don't understand the history. We'll find out when we get in heaven. And then all of a sudden you're like, it's not, you hit that point where you're just Mm -hmm. like, I'm done. I'm kind of done. Just I, now I, I need to know. Have you joined us in the aligned experience yet? It's my new monthly membership that I specifically designed for those of you who are ready 
really ready to feel your experience in alignment. We figure out what alignment feels like in your life and what it feels like to be out of alignment and use those tools so you can have the exact relationships, business, connection, home that you desire so badly. We use breathwork, coaching, and crazy inspirational calls where you will walk away feeling on fire. You'll know exactly what to do next and walk away with the energy of excitement and full inspiration. We're talking about everything in the aligned experience. It doesn't matter where you are in your alignment journey. If you feel called to deepen this practice of knowing what it feels to be in and out of alignment, this is the place for you. We talk business, relationships, wealth, health, and everything that you desire in your own power and we claim it in there. I just help you get it quicker and faster using alignment in breathwork, coaching, and inspiration calls. If you want more information on the Aligned Experience and the experience that so many women are having in there, head over to the show notes and click on the link. We would love to have you join us in the Aligned Experience. I, I keep feeling, and as you were talking, and I'm just thinking of questions to ask you, I'm feeling into going into the perspective of um, what my listeners are wanting to hear from you. Yeah. Um, because I mean, almost all my clients are going through these faith awakenings, faith, all this stuff. And um, before we started recording, I was telling Kim how, um, I don't know if it was maybe the generation before us of people who are leaving the church and are just like, just feeling so angry. And we just can have so much compassion for them because they're, they're looking for truth. They're like, they've decided to deconstruct their, um, religious background and faith and beliefs. And then all of a sudden it's like, let's find everything, um, to attack. And, and I just felt like when I was going through my faith transition that I did not want to bring that in. Um, and that's kind of how I'm feeling into, what this, this new generation of it's, it's honest. I feel like, tell me where this lands for you is knowing that divine mother, divine God is just as important. And you kind of feel that when you know that you feel that into yourself, like I'm ready to see my soul. I'm ready to see the goddess, the queen that I was born like I was born a queen and a goddess and I have forgotten my power. And now I'm like, I'm coming into this feminine energy and it's not to take down males, but it's like, let's figure out this balance of how can I live in my feminine energy and in my masculine energy? And so I kind of want to go into the perspective of questions from their point of view. How has it affected your marriage? I know that's going to be like mm. a number one question because yeah. women are feeling this, like they're feeling this rise inside of them. And it is so scary because it's all we know and it's very fear-based. Yes. And to that point, I there's a few things you said that are so good that I want to touch on. So a lot of us are feeling this mainly women, you know, there's a movement. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a reason that it's women. 
I believe that Heavenly Mother is at work here in in her like subtle in some ways, but really powerful way. Mm -hmm. And it has to start in the quiet. It has to start in the hearts of individual women. And that's, it begins with a stirring and a seeking. And that's where it began for me with Heavenly Mother was seeking her, honoring Father God, Mm -hmm. but seeking a mother God. Mm -hmm. Who I knew and why hoped was there. Her? Like what, what was, why? Cause you said that a few times you were, what was calling you? Why did you need to seek her? Essentially it was things that I knew heavenly father in Christ had compassion for and, you know, understood, but I needed my mother because I had faced infertility, for example, was one thing I'm like, mm. she understands <laughs> also yeah. like just body changes that happened after giving birth to and nursing three babies. I had some body things that I needed to face and talk to mom about like, Oh, you know? And so I sought her Mm. and she came in a big way that I was not expecting. And I even, I felt this really deep, powerful, clear voice that, that told me something about her basically like, that she's here and she's real and she's close to me. And, and I shared this um, sentence that came to me with my husband and I said, am I crazy? And he's like, no, (laughs) no. How cool that she's there and that you can talk to her. You can, you can commune with her. And of course, and then I started thinking of me being a mother and like my children being separated from me do I just want them to forget about me or not think about me or not talk to me or not know me? Can you imagine? No, I can't even fathom. No, a mother's love. And so I started, it started waking me up to like, Oh my gosh, like she's there. I just have to find her and let go of these myths and um, the, this conditioning of silence from her. I'm like, oh, well, yes, like she's there, but we don't know anything. So we're just going to focus on father, you know, which of course we focus on father, but we also need our mother. And I believe he wants that more than anything. He wants us to find her and recognize her and feel her and learn from her and connect with her. So that, that was, and has been a really exciting, beautiful phase for me of this faith expansion is to find her. And, Mm -hmm. and because like we were saying, we don't have the framework of, or doctrine. Well, we have the basic doctrine that she exists. There's so much to know about heavenly mother, like from, she was in the scriptures, like she, and I love, um, milkmaids, honey is one gospel. uh, She's a, she is LDS and she's a Hebrew Bible scholar. She has a a degree in it. And she draws a parallel between heavenly mother and Zion. So any mention in the scriptures, she's in the Bible and, you know, in the book of Mormon, if you are into that, she um, draws this parallel between Zion and heavenly mother. So I have read scriptures that talk about Zion in such a beautiful, poetic, loving, romantic way. And I'm like, Oh, there she is. (laughs) And so there, that's just one example. And even outside of, you know, the LDS religion, but there, there's a lot of history, um, solid, you know, proven history of women, a women, a, a female 
goddess that was written out of the scriptures and written out of religion. You just have, we just have to find her again. Yeah. Who's who are going to be the ones to find her and rewrite her into history again? Women, of course, you know. And so that's I think why this stirring is happening. Um, and she's I think ready to be discovered. And and now we just have to kind of cut through the patriarchal tape oh that gosh. is there. That's okay. the hard part, and that's where it gets tricky. <laughs> this my mind is kind of as you're talking my like you're saying we have to find her we have to rediscover her we have to go inside and look for her it's that's us right like we have to go inside we have to find that soul we have to find that goddess that queen inside of us because and I I'm thinking of like in our religion um when I would ask about heavenly mother it was just uh, we don't know about her and Heavenly Father. We don't talk about Heavenly Mother because Heavenly Father just wants to protect her and does doesn't want people to, I know, mm-hmm. doesn't want people mm-hmm. to talk about her. <laughs> and then it's it, but that goes into silencing women, right? Like let's exactly. keep them hidden. Yeah. Like stay mm-hmm. low, stay hidden, keep your mouth shut. Men are in power. And yeah. it's like that, let's debunk not that okay. myth. That's not okay. It is a total myth. Even the church will say that. They will say yeah. that's a myth. There's no, this silence, although culturally it has been perpetuated, yeah. there is no proof to back that up and no doctrine to back that up. That is no, like you think Heavenly Mother is too timid or weak to like show herself or like handle right. people making fun of her or something? Like, right. no, she is not that way. She is powerful and she. <sighs> <laughs> and so, she wants no, to Heavenly be seen. Father is yes. Like, oh, right. yes. And so, so the yeah. fact that she's been hidden through the ages is not God hiding her, right. and it's not Heavenly Mother hiding herself. It, I believe, anyway, yeah. it's people and it's patriarchy that shoves yes. that down. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. and 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 also not just patriarchy, but women. Like patriarchy does not equal men. Right. Patriarchy is a system. So that again, we're not right. putting down men. Right. We're just talking about a structure. Um, that women and men both take part of. So it's not all on men for sure. So yeah, there's, there's work to be done. And, and, and the anger you mentioned, there will be anger that comes up when you start to feel what's called the feminine wound that, that connects all of us throughout the ages. And that has so much wrong and violence has been done against women in the name of God or in the name of, you know, men and and in the name of many other things. But once you start to pay attention to that and open your eyes to the way that women have been harmed um, throughout the years and ages, and um, especially in terms of religion, and especially, you know, bringing it down to like the religion I am part of, it's hard to deconstruct that and to see it and to no longer make excuses for it. Um, and there will be anger. And I think it's important to feel that anger yeah. and express it. And going back to what you said, because through this process, I've been around a lot of different people um, who are in different places with their faith. And I have been around people who are really angry. Mm-hmm. And again, the anger is necessary and you have to face it and feel it. But I do notice some people choose to hang on to it and feed off of that anger. And that's where I don't want to stay stuck. I want to feel it and address it and be angry and scream yes. and rant and rage. But then I don't want to throw that at other people. Right. And I don't want to live there because that's a really yeah. deteriorating place to be. Um, and 
And that's where I think conscious choice comes in to where, okay, like once I have felt this and processed it and recognize that it will come back and you'll have to feel it again, you'll be triggered and that's okay. But like, what are you going to do with that anger? Like, are you going to live there? Because if, if things in your life um, or in your church have brought you down and drained you of goodness in a way, um, and, and I'll say it, it's complex because there are good things that come from religion and and me speaking from my experience, I don't want to ignore the good things that this church has done for me and continues to do for me, but I won't ignore the the hard and the wrong, you know, that it does not only to, to me, but to, um, others, you know, and, um, but what I'm saying is you don't want to stay in that, in that place. Don't continue to be brought down by it. Sometimes people think, oh, if I'm attacking, attacking the church, you know, publicly, um, I'm just removing myself from it. No, you're, you're tying yourself to it even more like, yeah. And it's delicate because again, I will restate that the anger is okay and it's okay to be mad and to be offended. And that's all necessary. I think God, the God I know is like, yep, feel that address it, say it, speak it, you know, but they're just, you just kind of have to be careful. Um, and I guess not careful, but aware of Mm. at what point am I taking this farther than it needs to go? Or at what point can I turn this into a sense of (sighs) holding the dissonance instead Mm. of always fighting? Yeah. I mean, that's such a great point because it, the awareness is kind of key in this expansion um, mm-hmm. because all emotions are necessary, all of them. So you have to feel the anger and mm-hmm. address it and respond to it rather than reacting all of the time. You have to know that that's going to come up. And even in ancestral work, I mean, that's when you crack this open, when you open that box, you're not only pulling all of the emotions that you've experienced in your lifetime, it's generational, right? Like you're pulling in your generational ancestors that have been silenced, that have been told to Mm -hmm. just follow the rules or you're going to get in trouble. And this is what we do and don't do. So just know that that's going to happen, but create a space and maybe a, a community or someone you can talk to or for you, I know that writing it out is super healing for you. So just Mm -hmm. know that anger is okay. Like it's not, it doesn't mean that it's bad. It doesn't mean that anything's wrong with you. You're just, Mm -hmm. you've been carrying all of this stuff throughout generations and with your ancestors that it's, it's going to happen and it's okay. Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. The generational trauma and that feminine wound, like that's, that's what it is. It's, I feel like as I deconstruct some of this, I'm honoring my ancestors and what they went through and what they believed and and what they did with the knowledge they had. And I'm also trying to make things better. I'm trying to heal not only myself, but my family and my ancestors. And so it's a really beautiful, necessary thing. And, and I feel like that's all good context to the question you asked about how this has affected my marriage. And I will say like, it's, um, when I was in that place of anger, really opening my eyes to polygamy, but also other gender issues within the church, I was in a place of anger and I, I didn't throw it at him. I don't think, I think I was 
as mindful as I could be about communicating it with him, but I did have to bring him in to it and say, Hey, this is what has happened. (laughs) This is what is happening. This is not okay. What do you say to it? Do you know what I mean? And I didn't say like, this is your fault. This is no, but I'm like, help. It was a cry for help. I'm like, what do we do? And, Mm -hmm. and, and I needed to know how he felt because I needed to know that the person I had yoked myself to (laughs) in life and eternity, um, I needed to know where he stood on this and, and I needed him to have the information. And so he was good about like, Hey, here's a section of this book. I need you to read. And he was good about taking that in and being really open-minded. And there was a time where he felt bad. Like I remember him saying, I feel really bad. I feel like I've done something wrong. And I'm Mm. like, again, like it's not you, but like also that shame is a little bit necessary. I remember feeling that when I was doing, you know, diving into some social justice work, I'm like, oh my gosh, this has all happened. And I feel complicit, even though I wasn't complicit per se, but like, I just felt that shame. And I think some of that is necessary. Um, And so he felt some of that. And, but then what he's done since is like, okay, well, here are the things we won't teach our children about their parts in, um, you know, what modesty means and, and that they're not responsible for other people's thoughts. And, you know, and he's really good about being aware of, okay, here's what the church teaches and here's where we think they go a little bit wrong, or here's, here's where we need to have more discussion with our children as they grow up. Um, and our daughter's 12 and in young women's and, and, um, thankfully we have really amazing progressive leaders in our particular church, but I know that's not always the case. Um, and it really, yeah, I just, and, and not only with the patriarchal issues, but with me deconstructing just everything, everything, um, my husband has really run to my side and done a beautiful job of holding authentic space for me. Not at first. I'm like, wait, is he just scared? This might break us. And so he's being really like, sure. Yes, totally right. agree. You know what I mean? I watched yeah. for that. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't that it was right. him and him, his heart really holding. And part of it was that because he really, he values our marriage and our relationship and he wants to stay together at all costs. And so do I. And so there was that, but he was just really good at opening his mind and, and being there for me and just like sitting on the shore and calling out like, Hey, like, let me know if you need anything. I'll be over here. He got in the water with me, you know, Mm -hmm. of that, of those doubts and those questions and those, that anger. And he was there with me. And, and I say this carefully because I know that's not always the case. Not everyone is going to have that support and, and these type of things do break up relationships and marriages. And so I honor that for people and their experiences and what they need to do to be okay and be aligned. But -hmm. thankfully for us, um, it has brought us closer, not apart, but it has caused us to have to create different boundaries with different family members and friends and um, the church too, like how, how we approach going to church and, and callings and all of that. So we can go into as much of that as you like, but yeah, that's kind of where, where we are. So, yeah, I know that I, a lot, oh, I've had a lot of questions about that transition of like, how is, how has your husband been with it? Um, I'm wondering though, for you, do you think that because you have daughters, you were able to like, even for your husband, you have that perspective of what do you say to your daughters about leadership and how they behave and don't have, don't behave. Um, 
did, was that like impacted? Cause I'm thinking of like my boys, it's just a little different cause mm-hmm. we don't have girls, yeah. but it's like, when you think of, okay, we have daughters, like, are we going to teach them the same thing? Did that impact how he was able to be so open? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I think so. I think because our daughter is 12 and like she is, we did get the letter about girls camp. Like here's the swimsuit you wear. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. because it's relevant right now, we're having those discussions. And so, yeah, I think it has helped for him to see some of the damage that can come from like purity culture, for example. Um, And so, so yeah, it's relevant right now. And so I think he is we're both rising to the occasion of, okay, like we need to know where we stand now. We can't float along like we did before and be like, hypothetically, like it's not hypothetical anymore. Like we have to know what we want to teach our kids and what we don't want to teach them. And I will say for boys too, like, I think it's just as important for me to teach my son about his heavenly mother, because he's going to have, you know, I mean, I don't want to come jump to any conclusions, but assuming he will have a wife and like, you know, I care about how he'll treat her. And I care about not only how he'll treat her, but how happy his marriage will be. And a lot of that depends on, you know, his awareness of patriarchy and um, heavenly mother and all of that. And so I think for his sake, as much as my girls, I I need them to understand um, what's okay and what's not. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, So how long do you feel like this Okay. So, well, the reason I was thinking of Kim is because she sent out, or maybe it's on Instagram, um, where you decided I'm going to be open about this faith expansion that I'm experiencing. And you said, I'm, um, in my email, my Sunday newsletter, my emails, I'm going to be doing, it's like journal entries that you had. And Mm -hmm. you said that this was, was, I think it was like a 12 part, 12 weeks. And every single week you shared part of your journey and it was very healing for you. Um, why did you feel like you needed to share it? Hmm, Good question. So like you said, like these were journal entries I had written in my journal typed mostly normally I handwrite and some of this was handwritten and I went on to convert it to, you know, typed, but I had so many thoughts and feelings and I needed to process them. And I needed to do that for writing through writing. And I think anyone can benefit from that, whether you consider yourself a journaler or not. It is yes. something I will I'm preach day in and day out. Yes, 100%. That's <laughs> yes, one of the yes, good yes. things we we learned in the church was writing the journals. Amen, sister. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yes. So I wrote with no intention of sharing it. Okay. But then as I have gone through this, and there's by no means a pretty bow tied at the end of it I'm not done like I'm still very much in this and still finding my feet but um I feel like one of the hardest parts of it was you know the year I think it was let's see I'm trying to think back in time I think it was last year so like well no I think it was like 2020 yeah maybe it was 2021 um yeah it was 2021 was like the hardest most transitory year for me, I feel. And that's what, what I wrote through a lot. I wrote a lot. And then, um, I kept feeling as I wrote these entries, I kept feeling you need to share. I just felt this and whether it's from like my own intuition or, you know, I felt like it was also for me, heavenly father and mother saying, Hey, 
you have some things that other people will resonate with and this could be a comfort to people I felt that and I was like Ooh, okay that's scary so I started I'm like okay sure like I'll do that but I just selected like one or two friends who I knew were going through it and I'm like here I put it on a google doc these entries I'm like here you okay. you know we've been talking about these things here are some of my thoughts that may you know you may resonate with and I you know one or two friends um and they just really felt witnessed in their own struggles and questions by me voicing mine. Mm -hmm. And it just became this connection um, piece. And I was like, wow, that's cool. Like, and it wasn't me. Like, I don't take the credit for that. I'm just like, well, it was just because I expressed these feelings that many of us have and um, without like having the answers, but just expressing them and expressing the struggle because I had heard a lot of people, I remember listening to one in particular, this podcast, someone had sent me, someone who knew I was struggling and, and they're like, hey, I'm going to send you this. And it was this conversation um, about how this girl, you know, had a hard time with her faith and she went through this bout of darkness. And then she came out and she was on top and here's all these things. But like the bout of darkness was like this pinprick and she barely stayed there. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, we need to go there. We need to go into the darkness because there's many of us who are there and we don't hearing that you're on the other side can be helpful, but it can also be discouraging because you feel so far from it. But I'm like, people need to talk about being in the darkness, but with hope, like, I don't know. I just, I just felt like people needed to hear it. And so even after I shared this document with a couple people, I still felt that like nagging of, Hey, it's it time to share more. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. It was a pull. And so yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not, I don't want to share on Instagram. I just didn't feel aligned with that. I'm like, I don't want that to become my faith transition mouthpiece. That's where I talk about books and I want, and I felt good about protecting that. Um, but I, I had these, you know, this document and I'm like, I'm going to form it into emails and just see how it feels because emails feel safe. They feel personal. And I'm like, well, if I can just allow people to opt in consciously rather than just like, here's this. Right. on Instagram, I'm just going to share whether you Surprise. want it or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Surprise. You, you know, I'm like, I will allow people to opt in people who feel pulled to hear this message. Wow. And, yeah. and that feels like a safe, a safe way to do it. Um, not only for myself, but for others. So I formed these emails and I remember I went to this creative retreat for women where I was leading yoga and meditation. And I just sat down. I had a book I was working on too, but I'm like, I need to focus on this email series. I'm just going to sit down and write it all out and refine it. And I remember sitting in a chair <laughs> out there by myself. I had my headphones on. I had my like calming music on. And I just busted out these emails. And I didn't get up for three hours. And people came in and they're like, is she okay? Is she? They like brought me food. Wow. <laughs> this was just... <clears throat> and I wrote it and I did it. And then I woke up and I came out, not woke up, but like I came yeah. out of this writing and I was like, don't know if I'm ever going to share those. <laughs> Wow. But I felt, I know there was this underlying, like, okay, yep, like keep going. But there was also this like, nope, that was yeah. no. <laughs> but then I just kept feeling it and following it and moving through the fear of like, oh, like this person's going to see that. And this person, what if they read it? And what are they going to think? And what are they, you know? Um, And I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to move forward. And I did. And I just sent out that first email. 
and um, started getting people just these, not just like, oh, good for you. Thank you. Bye. It was like these heartfelt, deep messages of, I feel seen. Thank you. You don't even know what an answer to a prayer this was or or just thank you for being there and being brave enough to share that. It makes me feel brave enough to feel and address mm. these feelings and to, you know, I just got these messages and felt like, okay, that's what kept me going. Like sending the next email was wow. like, okay, there's, there are those people who are being helped and healed by this. Um, so I will keep going. Um, so that's why I went for it. Yeah. Cause you were just feeling like the pull's not going to go away. Right. It just yeah. kept nagging and nagging. Mm-hmm. And, and it I, was not just for, sorry to cut you off. Continue. You're fine. No, you're fine. Um, I was just, I just posted, um, an MLK quote that he said something, um, about, he said like darkness cannot live in darkness. Only light can do that or something. And not, it makes sense. I know the one you mean. Yeah. So and good. It, yeah. Right. So it's like darkness is darkness cannot live in darkness or whatever it is because darkness feels so alone. But when you share the darkness, it's like this light comes in. Yeah. Right. Cause it's that vulnerable. Yeah. It's a connection because when you feel, and I'm sure you've experienced this where you'll share little bits like over your lifetime. And then, and someone's like, oh my gosh, I feel that too in the church. And so many people are feeling this right now and have been feeling this for a long time. So it's like, who are those leaders, the guides who are being courageous enough to share in their darkness? Because the darkness can is so, that's where it's like, it's beautiful. It's healing. And yeah. the light is like, because you've experienced that darkness, that the the opposition, the the light is so much brighter, more beautiful than you can ever imagine. Because you felt the darkness and yeah. the depth and the anger and the frustration and all of that, it gets to yeah. be brighter. Yes, yes, and I mm. love that you address that because I feel like sometimes whether it's in our church or other churches, like you think, no, avoid the darkness, avoid the doubt, avoid anything that causes you to question or think differently. Or, you know, I just going through the darkness is the only way I feel like to find a more solid faith. And maybe, I don't know, I can't speak for everyone. For me, it was the way for me and my personality. It was the way. And while I'm not in like full basking light, <laughs> mm -hmm. I do feel a light and it's, it's, for me, it's even a lesson of, it's not one or the other. It's not like mm. all faith, no doubt. It's right. that's actually not real faith. If it's yeah. absent of any kind of doubt, mm. it's this dance of faith and doubt that will continue our entire lives. I love that. So, and I love Brian McLaren. He, I recommend to anyone facing any type of transition in their faith and spirituality. Um, faith After Doubt is my favorite. One of my very favorite books and most helpful books that I've read throughout this transition. I listened to it and it was so comforting. 
And he was a pastor for years and years or like a some something high up within his Christian church. I don't remember his exact title, but um and he knew scriptures in and out and and yet he had questions, you know, and and he just really brings a calmness to those questions and talks about this dance between faith and doubt. And I think for a while through this transition, I'm like, oh, when am I going to be relieved? When am I going to put my feet on the ground instead of feeling like I'm dangling in midair, not knowing where to go? When am I going to feel that light? But I realized it's about holding the darkness and the light because we always have both within us and darkness isn't bad. Like you said, it's part of it. And we have to have both. So instead of me waiting to get to the other side where everything is butterflies and rainbows and light, I am learning to hold both. Yeah. And there's beauty in that. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love that. It is a dance because your brain thinks once I get over this thing, my life is going to be amazing. And it, but it gets to be that in the darkness. Because darkness isn't bad. It's just like there's light in the darkness because you've decided this is going to be a beautiful process for me. And Mm -hmm. you just, it just gets to be, it just gets to be there and it's not bad. Yes. Yeah. And I want, I kind of want to read the quote you're talking about just because I feel like we should read how he said it and it goes along with what we're saying. So I don't know if this is the exact one you were talking about, but he said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Mm. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And obviously there's a lot of depth with how that applies to social justice issues. And um, he's not saying to be quiet about the things that are wrong at all. (laughs) He's saying Mm -hmm. he he was about getting loud about it, obviously. Um, but, But why I love that too is we do have to find those pinpricks of light amid the darkness. And, and really it does come down to love. If we're now talking about it with faith, it's how much are you able to love someone who is questioning? And I'm talking maybe to some of the people who are more orthodox in their ways of thinking, or do still have a lot of fear about stepping outside of those. How much are you willing and able to love someone who is exploring things you think are wrong or um, bad or, you know, whatnot. So, so how much love can you call upon within yourself to give to them? And then for us here in this place of transition and, you know, exploration, how much love can we find for ourselves and how how gentle can we be with ourselves through this process? Because that's what we need. And also practicing that gentleness and love for the people who make us angry through this process and the people and the things people say that are triggering. Can we find the love and the compassion? Because we know, I mean, I remember what it was like to think in black and white. I remember, you know, discarding and running away from doubt. I remember, um, needing the security of that, you know, singular way of thinking. Um, And so I will hold compassion for people who don't understand where I am. Because really what it comes down to is 
we are all complex human beings and faith is really complex and we need to let each other explore what we need to explore and hold space for each other wherever we are. And that goes both ways. And we just have to dig through the pain and the anger to find that love yeah. because that's, that's ultimately what it's all about. That's ultimately what I think true religion is about um, and what, what we need. So yeah, that's it's so about love. It, uh, everything is just about love. Oh man. Well, I know we could talk about this for five more hours, but, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just so, I know that like the people who watch and listen to this, they are going to feel seen and it's because you decided to share your experience and you're still in it, right? You're not like, I've gone to the other side and here's step-by-step of what I did. It's like, I'm still in it. And it, just trust your intuition and what's pulling you. Why is that pulling you so much? Like, it, is the pull going to go away? What would it be like to go into that and, and lean into that pull and um, be gentle with yourself? I think that's like a huge theme that you've provided everyone today. And um, is there... Is there any intuitive hits that you feel you feel called to share before we hop off? Maybe I'll just say one thing is just, um, I had a friend email me in response to my email series and say, oh, thank you, you know, for sharing. And she's emailed me throughout it with solidarity, but she said, but how do you move forward? Because I'm so angry all the time, you know, and, Mm. and I just, I will recommend again, the book faith after doubt, because I feel like you get to a point where you're like, okay, I can deconstruct for the rest of my life. How do I build something instead of tear it down? What can I build now that the pieces are scattered on the ground Mm. and I don't know what's what, and I don't know what I believe and I don't know what I can hold on to. And I'm scared of it. Whatever I build being torn down again, that is traumatic. So yeah, finding finding something to believe in amidst the doubt. Um, just maybe, maybe journal, like what do you want to hold on to? What do you believe? What is the beauty that remains amidst the ashes of everything you've had to burn down? Um, find, find those things and hold on to them and build something slowly. It doesn't need, there's no rush. There's no rush in Mm. faith. Um, take your time. And I will say one last thing is meditation has helped me a lot, a lot through this process when I'm feeling the anger or the anxiety of, and the fear, because I do, I feel it. And I'm like, ah, like, am I doing it wrong? Am I, you know, going the wrong way? What are, what's my family thinking? And, you know, am I ruining my children or whatever, you know, we all have those thoughts, but when I can get still and find that place in myself that knows I'm okay and that place that connects with what I believe is, you know, a mother and father mm. who is in heaven, but they're also like here and they're also here within me. Yeah. Um, the way that I find that place and that stillness and that timeless comfort is through being still and, and meditation gets me there. So finding meditation that resonates with you. I still love guided meditation. So I've created guided meditations um, 
called Portable Peace. So they're five minutes and easy to do wherever you are and whatever you're doing. But I really love Insight Timer. You can do it for free. You don't have to pay, but it's my favorite meditation app. And Sarah Blondin is my favorite person on there. She is a goddess on earth. Um, And there's a few others that if we connect through Insight Timer, I can, you know, recommend those and share those. But really just finding that stillness so you can get back to a place of peace and security is really powerful. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kim, for hopping on today. I'm sure we'll have to do a part two soon because people are going to want to know more, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. That was was good to talk through some of that. It's therapeutic for others and also me every time as well. So thank you. Of course. All right. Thanks, Kim. Let us know you love this episode by writing us a review, share it on Instagram, and make sure you tag me coaching with Aaron so that I can message you back and connect with you. If you want to receive my new episodes weekly, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And like always, thank you Queens for being here, being you and owning what you want. Life is so fun with you. I'll talk to you next week.